So my question is, as a teacher, how, what advice will you give me to with students who identify as the LGBTQ plus community who want them to be still welcome to my classroom, but do not want to alienate them in, the, in that sense? Are they open to you talking to them privately about what they're thinking about and what, how they're identifying? Or is this in the front of everyone? This is in front of everyone. They come up to me, they attack me for my faith, for having my cross, they attack me for every little thing. Most of the time I just take tackle as a teacher will say, all right, that's enough, be quiet or go to the office. Okay, well, I, I would say um, when they, what would be an objection they might, they might give you? Like, what would they say to you? My religion is dumb. Okay. I'm oppressing them for having a cross out. Say what? I'm oppressing them. Okay, let's, let's start with oppression. You might ask them, yeah, I think oppression's wrong too, but why is it wrong? What standard are you using to say oppression is wrong? Because you see, every objection they have to Christianity, they have to steal from Christianity in order to make the objection. Because oppression wouldn't be wrong unless God existed. There's no standard unless God exists. So they're using a moral standard that only exists if God exists in order to attack God. So they have to steal from God to argue against him. I have another book called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. So I would just keep asking questions. What do you mean by that? Why do you think, why do you think, why do you think that what you're doing is correct? What standard are you using to say that, say, same-sex behavior is a good behavior? Just have a dialogue with them. And just be calm, always be calm. Just keep asking questions. What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? Why do you think that's true? Have your feelings ever changed? Oh, they have changed. You think they may change again? Can you follow your feelings uh, without any moral restraint? If, I, if someone came to you and said, I have the anti-gay gene, would that make gay bashing okay for them? No, of course not. It doesn't matter where your feelings come from. See, there's a difference between attractions and actions. We all have attractions we ought not act on. But that doesn't mean we ought to act on those, those attractions, whatever they are. So I would just keep asking questions. By the way, there's a great book to get on question asking and answering, and that's Tactics by Greg Kokel, K-O-U-K-L. So I would recommend you get that. But I, just be calm and just, if, if, they, if they're bringing up the conversation, that's an opportunity for you, right? You, and all you need to do is keep asking questions. You know what's going to happen? When they start being unable to answer your questions, they're going to get real quiet, right? And they're not going to attack you anymore. And other people are going to go, yeah, that was a good question. Why couldn't he or she answer that? So just keep asking Yeah, questions. and the thing is, is I think sometimes we as Christians feel like we need to defend God, mm -hmm. and you don't. And I think exactly what Frank is saying is when you, when you lead somebody down a path that they really, the only answer can be God, that'll really mess them up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, stand strong in the classroom. So I'm, I'm assuming you're the teacher. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, so and, uh, I, would, I would definitely not back down. Don't let it overrule your class. Don't let it be rebellious, but be, be firm and be gracious. And so that's the best way. I, I love that. By the way, what is the class you're teaching? Calc 1 and Math 3. They, they just get, want to get out of calculus. That's why they're doing that. Are you kidding? <laughs> I said that at first, but these were freshmen last year. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. But I, just keep asking questions. Let me, let me mention one other thing, yeah. too, is pray. Mm -hmm. 
not in that moment. You need to pray before you walk in that classroom mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you're facing spiritual warfare. This is, this is, yes, the questions are extremely important because you'll debunk that spirit that's trying to deceive those people. But the best way you can do that is simply the presence of God, the anointing that's in your life in that classroom. You know, since you're teaching math too, you can ask people, why is this world so describable in mathematics? In fact, there was a, an article written way back in the night, about 1961 by Eugene Wigner, and the title of it was The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. Why is this world set up on a mathematical grid where I can draw some equations on a chalkboard and they describe what's really out there? Why? Because this world is set up and sustained by a mind called God. So you might want to use math in that regard. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good for you, man. Great question. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Turek, for coming out. Um, so we've been doing some stuff on university campus at UNC Charlotte, and we've had some different interactions with people um, that you would expect at a more liberal university, which is just any university nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we're interacting with some of these students, uh, you know, based upon your different books there, obviously you just mentioned correct but not politically correct, and then I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So taking a, a stance and having conversations with people when would you bring the Bible in? Where do you go from a, a logic-based argument to a religious argument and bring the Bible into it? Where, where, do you, where do you cross that line? Well, I don't think the Bible is a religious argument. I think you can give evidence that the Bible is reliable. And if it is reliable, then it's something people ought to consider. And I've noticed that most people haven't even read the Bible, and yet they're dissing it. True. I mean, I had this kid at the University of Maryland, must be like 15 years ago. He was dissing the Bible. He kept dissing it. And I finally asked him, I said, have you even read the New... Because he, he, was, he was saying things that didn't make any sense with regard to the Bible. I said, have you ever read the New Testament? He, he was flummoxed. He never read it. And I said to him, look... I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your history is, how you were brought up. If you are claiming to be a person seeking the truth, you have to at least read the Bible, which is the bestseller of all time, for, for a reason, right? Jesus of Nazareth is the most influential human being in history. Now, you may read the Bible and go, I don't think it's true. I think it's bunk. But you at least have to consider it. If you don't consider it, you're not intellectually honest. So would you say that you would approach it from a biblical stance, make a case for the Bible, and then go from there with the truth of what's in the Bible? It depends on where people are. If they already believe in truth, then I'm going to go, does God exist? If they already believe in God, then I'm going to talk about miracles. Are miracles possible? And of course, if God exists, miracles are possible. Then if they believe in miracles, I'm going to say, okay, did the miracle of the resurrection occur? And if the miracle of the resurrection occurred, then you can say the entire Bible is true. Why? Because if Jesus really predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead, then he's God. And whatever God teaches is true. Jesus taught the entire Old Testament as the word of God, and he promised the New Testament. You say, well, why trust Jesus? Look, I just have a personal policy. If somebody predicts and accomplishes his own resurrection from the dead, I just trust whatever the guy says. Okay? Awesome. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that was good. Um, good job, baby. Hey, hey, that's Michael uh, Bouvillet. Give him the mic. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, by the way, I've been a huge fan of yours for over, I think, six years. Um, 
watching your YouTube videos hours among end. Um, so I'm Thanks. really nervous because I've never seen you in person. But um, <laughs> Thanks. I know you're a normal guy. So. Yeah. Um, kind of wrote half the question down because it's all kind of mingled up in my head. But this is kind of vulnerable for me to ask because it's a situational thing currently, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a friend who I met in school. And I've gotten to know him over the year. I just, I'm new this year to Charlotte, um, at UNC Charlotte. And I, w I recently heard from a, a close friend of his that he's had transitional transgender surgery. Mm -hmm. surgery um, and he doesn't know that I know because I've shared my faith and, and just my opinion on it with him. I thought he was a dude and it's weird to think that he's not. Um, and, um, I don't know how to wrap my head around it or how to approach conversation about it because I think he's just too afraid to, to share with me um, that he is that. And I, I say he because I, I, it feels even weird now. I, I just learned about this a few days ago. Um, but it's just weird for me even now to think that that's what's actually the reality. Um, you know, of just Is this person you're talking about a biological male or biological female? Biological female. female. This is a biological female, okay, that's taken cross-sex hormones and maybe um, had surgery? Yes, both okay. of them. Yeah. Okay. So um, you're trying to figure out how to move forward with this person? Yeah, how to have conversation and, and um, be more intentional um, and not think any differently about it. Um, One of the things I would do with such a person is just go for coffee and say, tell me your story. How did this happen? Tell, tell me where you've come from because as we point out in the book, almost always what triggered this was some sort of traumatic event. If it's not social media contagion, it's a traumatic event in their life that caused them to suddenly feel like they're the opposite sex. For example, sometimes a boy who thinks he's a girl has come to that conclusion because he was molested and he wants to get rid of the organ that was molested. So it's a psychological thing. And Walt Heyer, who for many, about eight years, lived as a woman, even though he was a man, became a Christian later, and then started a ministry, and it's at, it's, his ministry is called sexchangeregret.com, sexchangeregret.com. If you go there, there's so many people that have tried to transition and now regret it. If you go there, he points out there's always an event. There's always some sort of trauma. So that person is hurting. And, and, and probably their surgery did nothing to help them. So you just want to befriend that person and just say, what's your story? I want, I want to hear what, what, how you got here where you are now and just, just be with that person. You know, it's amazing when you, in relationship with people, no matter what it is, you know, right now this is the big thing, but it could be somebody that went through an adulterous affair or somebody that was sexually abused or something that people go, that is a trauma that causes them to be a certain way because they identified either so against that trauma or they're connected with that trauma. And you as a, as a, as a faith person, you know, obviously you have a relationship with God and your, your friend knows that you have a relationship with God. So what's interesting to me is that they're still there. Yep. So knowing everything that, that you believe and you've shared that without them knowing that, then it's, it's amazing to me how there obviously is something in her that wants what you have, or she would have ran a long time ago. And so just like I think what Frank said is so, so vital, is just continue the relationship. You know, walk 
with her, you know, and, and be there and ask those questions that, that open up. And it's amazing what you'll find out, what you'll find out. That's good, man. I hope that helps. Thank you. And yeah. I, th I think Thanks. to to the wider group that's here, I think we need more of that. So often, so often, like we don't know how to respond to relationships like that or situations like that, and so we just say, "Ah, oh, it's weird. It's uncomfortable." So I'm, I don't engage with it. And I think this should be an encouragement. We should be able to engage with it. We should develop the skills and the conversation and the ability to have those conversations with with people that that are going through that. Because you never know what's going to be on the other side of, of that coffee. You never know what, what conversion or what uh, eye-opening can be on the other side of that. Thank you so much. You know, let me, let me mention something, too. You can, that's cool. Thank you. Thank I you. just want to talk about, thank you very much. Can we give him a hand? That's yeah. a great, great story. <clears throat> you know, I think one of the things uh, that, that is difficult for us to navigate is often the pushback we get on social media. And so your voice on social media is different than your presence voice. Your voice and so I believe your voice in social media should be something that should open a dialogue. There, now let me just tell you, there are people that are from the LGBTQ plus community that have no desire other than to shut you down. Okay, why is that? Why do they want to shut you down? is because it's influencing them in a way that they don't like. It's causing something in them to, to press up. If, if you're solid in your identity, like, you know, Dr. Dr. Frank, he's a very smart person. I'm not intimidated by him because I know who I am. If I didn't know who I was, I would be intimidated by him. And so when you, when you reach out and share things that could be intended as or feel intimidating somebody's because they don't know who they are and so they want to shut you down i use it as a way to start a conversation and so what, what i love about a question like that is as christians don't be afraid of the conversation and listen to me very closely you don't have to have all the answers okay i mean he's really good with the answers really good very quick He's been studying this his whole life. My kids don't think so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Shut you, up, should, Dad. you should sell more books and yeah. feed them better. And so. <laughs> see, see? But you don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes just having the right question. The questions are key. The questions are key. Yep. Because often you can lead people right into the right direction. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. Don't be intimidated that you haven't read through the Bible all the way. No, no, don't be intimidated by that. Just walk people through it and just ask questions. What do you mean by that? Why did you go through that? Tell me about your past. Tell me what went on. Those are great ways for you to be able to engage somebody in conversation. Yeah, so you don't want to push them away. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a person. A person that uses the truth to beat somebody up is somebody who doesn't really know the truth that well because they feel like they use it as a weapon. Hmm. Jesus never used it as a weapon. He said, well, no, he went into the temple and, and used the cord. And, no, he was driving the people out that were trying to, to change what he came to die for. Whole different idea, okay? All right. Sorry. Um, so my mom, her brother, so my uncle, um, is now transitioning to a female. Um, and I was very close with him growing up. Um, he has completely blocked me on everything, cut out our family, 
Um, he says things like um, he, he's traumatized by the church because we all grew up um, Christians and our families are like strong Christians. Um, and I don't know how to navigate this because he is dead set on becoming a female. Um, he's got a partner that goes by he one day, she the next day. Um, he goes by V, she goes by B. Um, and there's that want for a relationship with him. I just don't know how to get there because I don't want him to feel like he's being shut down and um, ridiculed and hated because I love him. That is my uncle. Um, and I, I just don't know how to navigate that because it's so difficult when it's in your family. Um, yeah. Well, keep in mind, he's experiencing a somewhat of a mental breakdown because it is obviously a disorder mm -hmm. when your psychology and your biology are mismatched. So he might not be completely rational in this, uh, but I would just ask a bunch of questions again. Tell me your story. Uncle Bob, whatever his name is, tell me how this came about and why you think it's true. And same questions I mentioned earlier, do your feelings always tell you the truth? Um, do your feelings ever change? Well, yours have changed. I think they may change again. Can you always follow your feelings? No, you, you can't. Um, and just keep asking questions. Have, have you, by the way, read much about the uh, problems that occur when you try and transition? Yeah, a little bit. I'm seeing. No, has he? Ask oh, him that oh. question. In fact, can, if, just give me just a second here. I just want to read one thing. This is from a woman who tried to become a man. And um, she says she's gone so far she can't go back. But she's saying that the rosy picture that the media gives us is just false. Here's what she says. This is on page 181. During my own transition, I had seven surgeries. I also had a massive pulmonary embolism, a helicopter flight ride, an emergency ambulance ride, a stress-induced heart attack. Keep in mind, this woman's about 40. Sepsis, a 17th-month recurring infection due, uh, due to using the wrong skin during a failed operation to give her basically a penis. 16 rounds of antibiotics, three weeks of daily IV antibiotics, the loss of all my hair, only partially successful arm reconstructive surgery, permanent lung and heart damage, a cut bladder, insomnia-induced hallucinations, oh, and frequent loss of consciousness due to pain from the hair on the inside of my urethra. All this led to a form of PTSD that made me a prisoner in my apartment for a year. Between me and my insurance company, medical expenses exceeded $900,000. She said, the happy, lighthearted salesmanship of medical transition and its blunt reality don't match up. Doctors and medical transition proponents don't prepare you for the transition-related post-traumatic stress disorders. They don't mention post-traumatic stress disorder or any of the multiple hardships because it's considered transphobic. I want to tell my story so that others can hear what the medical industry is too afraid to say out loud, that transgender transition surgery is not the magical solution that doctors in the media and culture describe. And she, she is one voice out of many now that are saying, this is horrific. In fact, have you heard of, uh, of Chloe, 
from, uh, I'm trying to think of Chloe's last name, Chloe Cole from California, had her breast removed at 15. Right now she's 18, almost 19. She's suing her doctors because she's saying, what did you do to me? I didn't, I couldn't give informed consent at 15. I was confused. In fact, she was on the spectrum. She was on autism spectrum. Nobody diagnosed it. And now she's suing her doctors. This is why in the UK, gender transition clinics are beginning to shut down because the UK was ahead of us to do this. And now kids who had surgeries five, 10 years ago are beginning to sue these clinics and the clinics are going, we can't survive this. That's one silver lining in all this, that as this goes on, people are going to start suing these. The, this is medical malpractice. Chloe said they did Nazi-like surgery, experimental surgeries on me. There is no way to transition between the sexes. It's impossible. And yet, people are trying to say this is some kind of right. You know, you may want to get this kids. book. And just, and just, you know, get, don't even tell him you did it. Just drop it on his front doorstep. In fact, here, I'm giving yeah. it to you. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. I know he shut you out, but that may be the opportunity for you. And just, who knows what could happen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm only 12, but I do have a question. I'm in middle school, and I'm just surrounded by a whole bunch of LGBTQ students. And if a student isn't um, trans or gay or lesbian, then they support it. And I just feel alone because I'm not, and I don't support it, and I'm not sure what to do. Pastor? I'm just, I mean, I'm just so proud of you, mm -hmm. first of all. Yeah. And I'm just so proud of you. You know, I don't know if you know the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those three guys? No. No? So there was these three guys in the Old Testament, and they were told by the king that if they bowed to this idol that he had created, if they didn't bow when the music came on, that he would kill them, okay? And I know sometimes you, and three, <clears throat> out of an entire nation, these three guys, and they didn't do it, and they stood strong for the Lord. They did it for God. And the Bible says that they ended up getting thrown into the fiery furnace, and Jesus showed up in the middle of the furnace. And I just wanna, I wanna commend you, first of all, for standing strong. And I want you to understand it's gonna be difficult. I wish, I wish that Frank and I could tell you that it's gonna, gonna get easy. Um, you obviously have incredible parents who are helping and supporting you. And the, the, what I would tell you to do is keep doing it because there are way more kids out there that believe and think like you than you even know. And they need you, sweetheart, to continue to do what you do so that they can have the same strength that you have to stand up and tell the truth. Thank you. Cool. We'll do two more questions. Brother Frank, um, 
so uh, the brother that came up earlier and talked about a friend who's already transitioned, I realize that the ultimate, the end game is to bring people to the Lord. I know that pretty much fixes everything from an eternal standpoint. But from a practical and pragmatic standpoint, if somebody, say hopefully his friend, comes to faith, comes to know the Lord, and they look at you, or same thing with a, with a homosexual couple that's married already, they look at you and they say, okay, now what? Do, what do I do now? What, what, do you, what does God expect me to do now? I've done it. I'm in this committed, married, legal even relationship, or I've committed the, uh, the surgeries and the treatment and everything. What do I do now? Well, what we do is we follow what the Lord wants us to follow. Now, that may take a while for people to want to do that, but uh, I was just talking to my friend Sam Albury yesterday. I don't know if you know who Sam is. He's a same-sex attracted Christian man from the UK who is celibate. He's 48 years old. And uh, he said that you never want to take your identity from any aspect of your sin nature. And he's right. And Sam was telling me of these two lesbians who started coming to church and eventually they became saved. And they were living together. They were married, so to speak. And uh, he said, now they're no longer in this relationship. But one of them said to Sam, we are closer now as sisters in Christ than we ever were as lesbian lovers. And that is the true bond. So we want to help people transition to holiness, not to heterosexuality. The goal isn't to make someone heterosexual. The goal is to make them holy. Because, look, I know it's going to sound odd, but none of us are really heterosexual or homosexual. What we are are men and women. And what we decide to do sexually is always a choice. You're never forced to have sex. It's your choice. So we want holiness. And hold, that's what God wants. Holiness inside a marriage or holiness outside a marriage. So that's the ultimate goal, to become more like Jesus. And as you know, Paul says in the famous chapter, Romans 8, maybe the highlight of the Bible is Romans 8, where he says, we know that all things work together for good to those that are, love God and are called according to his purpose. And then it goes on to say, to be conformed to the image of his son. doesn't say all things are good. People will go through pain and suffering. But the ultimate goal is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why we're here. Thank you so much. Awesome. Add to that. Well, I, you know, I was just going to, we've had, <clears throat> interesting thing is we've had this conversation many times in our church. And uh, we were, I, was, I took our pastors on a little trip recently and we sat around a table and I asked them that question. I said, so tell me what you would do if someone who had transitioned gets saved mm. at your campus. Mm -hmm. How would you handle it? And, you know, I've been talking with them about this. We've been working with this. I've talked to other pastors about it because they don't know how to answer the question. Mm -hmm. And so I've come to a couple thoughts is, and I think you answered it very brilliantly, is the fact that everybody's going to be on their own journey, meaning they're going to have to work that out for themselves. But my belief and my understanding of the Bible is our bodies are going to be resurrected, but our spirits are saved. Mm -hmm. And so if that transgender got, died in that moment when they accepted Jesus Christ, they're going to heaven. Sure. Regardless oh, of, of whether oh, yeah. they were a man and they transitioned yeah. to a woman or they were a woman and transitioned to a man. 
And I think every case is gonna be a little different. And so in that conversation, if somebody answers an altar call and they get saved, I'm probably not gonna let them start serving right away if they've transitioned. We're gonna work through their issue and God, I believe, is going to help them make those decisions sure. that are necessary. Well, if they were, I don't man, think if they were man, they're still a man. They've just absolutely. done something to their body. Right, that right. Is, so I guess yeah. you know, the, I think the challenge is, is where's the church's place in telling them whether they should have the parts of a man mm-hmm. or have the parts of a woman? Mm-hmm. And I think that is a a, a story that has to be navigated mm-hmm. in the leadership of the church. I don't, I, don't ne- I don't necessarily think that we are to tell them in that moment, you got to change right, right now. Sure. Um, now, it may be that somebody asks for that, what do I do? And you tell them, well, here's the best practice of this. Um, hopefully, thank God you're not a pastor, if you're not, because these are the decisions that we're going to have to make and have to deal with people because these are the ramifications if the church doesn't continue to stand up. Sure, sin, Because we're going to have to deal with this. Sin and are, sin is the same thing. It's, it's like adultery or any of those mm-hmm. issues. You know, so we have to deal with those, those ramifications right. of it. So yeah, sins are forgivable, but that doesn't mean you're going to avoid the consequences. Right. Sometimes right. you can't unscramble eggs. Well, you can't. That's impossible. That's, that's sometimes. That's, that's, I do know the answer to that question. That is a non... You can, if you can unscramble one egg... That's you just are true the, for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's my reality, man. <laughs> All right. Last question. Last question. Um, so uh, for those of us who weren't here and we're going back into our you know, like communities and we spent you know, the last month talking about pouring out... How can we become force multipliers in this spiritual warfare? Like, are there some easy steps that we can use when we're having these conversations with other men, other parents, that we can give to them that will stick and hopefully put them on a path moving forward? I mean, you know, I, I give out a lot of books. You know, I do have a lot of uh, hard conversations with different parents. But in this context, um, and, and, w- and with your, uh, you know, expertise, what are some simple steps that we can use to become force multipliers? Why do we call the D-Day generation the greatest generation? Because they stood up against evil. Because they stood up against evil, and they literally had to stand up against it with their blood. We're not asking you to do that yet, but we're asking you for to do something that has a similar end, to maintain freedom, the freedom to live and preach the gospel, and the freedom to put forth uh, positions that help people, that prevent innocent people from getting hurt. I think men in particular, I think all people want a purpose to live for. And right now is a great time to be alive because we need an army of people that are going to stand for the truth of the kingdom, stand for freedom, and we're not asking you to take a rifle over to France and charge an enemy-infested beach. We're simply asking you to open your mouth, ask questions, try and find people where they are, and try and bring them to Jesus. That's what we're asking people to do. What a great time to be alive. What a great time to be a part of reclaiming this awful culture for God's truth. And lead. I mean, just, uh, there's a vacuum of leadership. And so what's what's happening is everybody's just looking over there. Who's going to take this hill? Yeah. Who's going to do it? And they're just looking for people like you that will start first running up the hill. And they'll follow you. 
And so continue what you're doing, man, because that's the important yeah. thing. And it's men like you that need to raise up other men and challenge them because that's what I like. Men want to be challenged right. with a goal, with, a, with, with purpose. And so by, you're going to continue to have hard conversations, and those are good. Oh, yeah. And walk and, and know that, that the guys that are with you will be with you forever. And so I'm proud of you. Way to go. And I think, Troy, the best uh, example we had tonight was the 12-year-old girl. Absolutely. 100%. Right? 100%. 12 years old. Awesome. I hey, mean, let's give it up for Dr. Frank. I mean, come on. Come on. That's awesome. Thanks for being here, buddy. All right. Thanks, brother.